Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on Dr. Anonymous Show 171, my guest coming up uh, will be Dr. Kim Yu, who is a family physician in solo private practice in uh, the Detroit, Michigan area. Just a few months ago, she was named one of Metro Detroit's best doctors by Styleline Magazine. Our topic tonight include what's it like being a solo family physician in the U.S. healthcare system these days. We'll also talk about family medicine, advocacy, social media, all that, and a lot more coming up on the Dr. Anonymous Show starting right now. the show that is passionate about medicine and social media this is the dr anonymous show live on blog talk radio on a thursday night i'm of course your favorite physician host my name is mike savilla but my friends like all of you out there in internet land i see you out there you call me dr a and you can find out more information about the blog and about the podcast and just by typing dr anonymous in your favorite search engine i'm pretty much the uh, top term search term over there so but you can also find me at dranonymous.com which brings you the most current show schedule blog posts some of my tv interviews with local tv news here you can also go to dranonymous.net shout out to all 237 People who like the show or who are fans of the Facebook fan page, whatever they do there now. It also gives you exclusive behind-the-scenes video of me doing this show. Very exciting. You can also go to dranonymous.org, which brings you to the iTunes page. You can subscribe to this show, leave a comment. I'd very much appreciate that. You can also listen to this show in real time on your iPhone, BlackBerry, Palm Pre. Droid, whatever your mobile device is, just direct your mobile browser to blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Anonymous. Today is Thursday, June 17th, 2010. It is 9 p.m. Eastern time at, at broadcast time here at Dr. Anonymous World Headquarters. It is 71 degrees Fahrenheit. Our guest coming up will be my good friend, Dr. Kim Yu, who is a family physician in the Detroit, Michigan area. She's very interesting. I'm looking forward to this uh, conversation. Uh, she's of uh, Chinese descent and ethnicity. She did her medical training in the United Kingdom, is a British citizen, did her residency, and has a solo private practice in the Detroit, Michigan area. She's a huge advocate for minority and geriatric medical issues went on multiple medical mission trips to China, volunteered at Chinatown Health Clinic in Detroit, was a team physician, I thought this was really interesting, a team physician at the National Synchronized Ice Skating Championships. Does a lot of, uh, also does a lot of advocacy work for the American Academy of Family Physicians and her state chapter, and maybe we'll get that into that a little bit. <clears throat> because as I've mentioned on recent shows, <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a little bit of cold tonight. <clears throat> I really I kind of felt a calling to share the story of family medicine and family docs because I really believe that the family docs are the solution to this broken healthcare system we have here in here right now. And I know our guests will have some thoughts on that. <clears throat> but first, I would like to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show again here this evening on the front page. Welcome to those of you who are new to the show, listening live or uh, on the archives. 
And uh, I have been a social media hobbyist since 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I am a real physician. I am a family physician in full-time private practice here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. If you're listening live, you can see my shining face here in the chat room here this evening. And uh, if you're ever here in the chat room, you can just uh, go to the top of the chat room, just click on the webcam icon. You can see me do the show right before your eyes. Excuse me again. And uh, so before we go to the break here, I do want to give a big shout-out to uh, the uh, people uh, in the uh, chat room. A uh, big shout-out to Liz and to Ramona, to Survivor Stephanie, and to uh, Charlie1933. Thank you for joining us live here this evening. And then we'll take my break here, and we'll have our, have our guest at the other side of this break. You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show a member of the Family Medicine Education Consortium. You can get there by going to fmec.net. And uh, also a member of the Better Health Network. You can get there by going to getbetterhealth.com. And also a member of the ProMed Network, a podcast. You can get there by going to promednetwork.com. And we'll be right back. That's right, lowering your blood pressure one point at a time. This is the Dr. Anonymous show live on a Thursday night. If I can get through this show without coughing my head off. <laughs> uh, but right now on the line we have with us uh, right now, uh, my good friend, Dr. Kim Yu. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. A. Oh, so you're, you're, I, we were talking before the show here. You're uh, suffering a little bit of a, with a cold, too, so this might be an interesting, uh, interesting show here. It may very well be. We've been sucking on <laughs> sore throat lozenges and downing the Tylenol, but we're doing good today. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time. Um, so um, so it, we, we've talked a lot about social media in the past, and uh, and we'll get into that a little bit. You got to get you to sign up for Twitter, and that's very exciting. So, uh, But uh, as I start out with, uh, with all my guests here, I start off with a very difficult question, and uh, your difficult question uh, goes like this. Uh, <laughs> So uh, what, is, uh, what is so cool about family medicine? What brings you to work every day? What, what, is, uh, what do you enjoy about what you do? Oh, I love what I do. I think I'm so blessed, really, to have um, a job. And it's not really a job. It's like going in to spend time with like, your friends and family every day. Um, it's so diverse every day. I don't know quite what's going to happen, but I love that. It's totally unpredictable, and yet not in a scary way. It's it's just having all those people come in with different problems, and, and being a people person, I love having that type of interaction with um, the whole family and all generations of families that come into my practice. So um, I think that's what's really neat about being in family medicine, having um, all those different types of um, issues that can come up and going, hey, that's really neat. I know how to do that. I know how to help you. Um, so let's kind of go back a little bit. Uh, so is is there or was there anybody uh, in your family uh, in medicine or in the um, healthcare field at all? Uh, not directly. Um, my mother was very ill. As I was growing up as a child, she had severe kidney disease and high blood pressure. And so from a very early age, I spent many hours, days, weeks um, just visiting hospitals, going to doctor appointments with my mother, um, you know, from a very early age, very, very early on. So I would say if there was anyone that inspired me, it was my mother and her interaction with all the doctors and hospitals that she she went to. Wow. Um, hmm. So yeah, how was, did you uh, – yeah, go ahead. 
And it was sort of seeing all those physicians and seeing how the surgeons that she eventually had a kidney transplant, um, seeing how they really changed her life and in and, and changing her life gave me back my own mother into my life that I realized very early on in my life that I wanted to be a physician too. Um, so did you um, volunteer for, you know, uh, I don't know, um, healthcare related uh um, I guess, jobs or community service or what kind of exposure, what other types of exposure did you have to kind of influence you to to uh, go to medical school? Um, it, there wasn't any particular community service. I think a lot of it was really seeing physicians at my church. Um, there were several mm -hmm. physicians that were at my church who really inspired me in the way they um, outreached the community and helped um, people on, on, you know, each and every day, um, and seeing how my life was affected from from the the way that the physicians interacted with my family. I mean, they really, you know, without a kidney transplant and without um, the treatment that my mother had, um, I would have lost her. She would have died, and and so you know, I knew that early on that that was something. You know, I was eight years old, I think, when I decided I want to become a physician um, that I wanted to do. And in England, it's a little bit different. So there are differences in the way we go to medical school. We go straight in from high school um, to medical school. And so it's a little bit different in the way we choose our career path. So I already decided very early on that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and we go to medical school for five years there and then do one-year internship. So, so you you were born and grew up in the United Kingdom. Yes, I was. I was born in Liverpool, the home of the Beatles. <laughs> well, and and how was that uh, growing up? Uh, growing up there. Growing up in England, um, compared to being here, it, it's 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 a wonderful place to um, be. Um, growing up, we had access to. Uh, socialized medicine that I know is quite controversial, but um, it was a wonderful experience that, I mean, I'm so thankful that I had the chance to grow up there um, and go to medical school there. Um, there are differences in the way that we train physicians in Europe uh, compared to the United States. And so um, having more access to clinical skills, um, not saying that we don't teach that here, because we do, but um, relying more on that because there isn't as much, or there wasn't, there is now more, but there wasn't as much access to the cutting-edge technologies that we have in this country, like MRIs or CT scans. You know, when I was going, it makes me sound like a dinosaur, really, but when I was going to medical school, there really weren't that many centers that had MRIs even. You know, there was only a few hospitals in, in London that might have that. And so, you know, here an MRI is a dime a dozen. Um, so we really had to rely on clinical skills to get us through a lot of the, the tests even um, that are um, a lot more clinical skills based. We had oral tests for every single uh, uh, subject in medical school. So from pathology to everything, there was an oral test that you have to stand in front of a physician and answer questions to and not just take multiple question, multiple choice question in the exam. So it's a little bit different, and I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to go through that because um, it, it's provided so much more to me right now as a physician. Uh, now, in the information you sent me, um, you uh, spent time as an internal medicine intern and then as a surgical intern. Is that is that kind of the standard path, or did that, you that change? That is. No, another well, um, that's actually a standard practice in the United Kingdom um, or was when I was going to medical school. After you finish five years of medical school, you um, have compulsory internship in six months of internal medicine and six months of, of surgery, general surgery. And at the time, I remember while I was going through medical school, I really wanted to become a surgeon. I thought that that was just the coolest thing to be a surgeon. And when I went through um, my surgical internship, I realized that I neither had the height 
nor the strength or the personality <laughs> to get through a surgical uh, residency, you know, the whole three, four years that it would have been. Um, you know, standing on a box every day to do surgeries and leaning over trying to get inside someone's, you know, abdomen or holding a lot of bowel, you know, every day really took its toll. And I remember throwing my back out and uh, being in surgery after an aortic aneurysm repair um, for six hours and not having to go to the restroom and realizing, you know what, there was a reason why I did really well in family medicine and general practice um, during medical school. Maybe that's something I should really look into. And so when I actually came to the States, um, I did research in um, internal medicine and geriatrics at University of Michigan and did diabetes um, research there and found um, some wonderful family medicine mentors that really showed me the difference between general practice, which is what um, it, family medicine is known as in the UK, and family medicine here in the United States, where there are uh, marked differences in the way we practice. Uh, yeah, we have a surgeon in our in our chat room here, and uh, she says, uh, "Yes, yeah, surgery can take a toll on your neck and back." So uh, definitely, uh... <laughs> it sure did. It sure did. Um, but, uh, I guess I, I guess I'm just curious, like if you're in the UK and and you want to do like, um, you know, OBGYN or something like that, is that a is that another internship in addition to that, or is there additional training for that, or not really? Oh, yeah, there is. You have to go through it just like you have to do a residency in OBGYN. But, you know, family medicine in the UK is, or general practice in the UK is different in that the GPs in England and in many countries in Europe are mainly outpatient-based. And that was something that, you know, when I first came to this country, I, I didn't quite understand until I met these physicians at University of Michigan that showed me that you know, family medicine had such a breadth of, of um, skills and, and things that we could do as family physicians in this country, which is really exciting to me to, to have that opportunity to be able to not only be an outpatient physician, but to work in the hospital, to see my patients straight through from being in my office to taking them to the hospital, seeing them at the hospital, taking care of them there, you know, maybe even doing OBG, you know, obstetrics and delivering their babies and then taking their newborn and doing their, you know, uh, newborn exam and doing procedures, which is not as much of a thing that we do in the United Kingdom. So um, the procedures that we do, like um, colonoscopy, or, um, colposcopy, or, or even minor surgeries where we want to take a mole out, you know, and cut things out, which I love doing. Um, <laughs> so that was really kind of really exciting to me to have more, you know, than um, the just outpatient medicine. Having that extra stuff to to bring that diversity into the field was really kind of neat. So did, did you have a contact at the University of Michigan, or is it this is just, you know, just a uh, I just did, I did. That you ended up there? No, well, yeah, it was really kind of interesting. My um, the inter internal medicine physician that I worked for, he was the head of um, diabetes in England, knew and did research with the head of um, geriatrics in the University of Michigan, and so they they introduced me to them um, and to each other and. I ended up working there for three years as a research assistant before going into residency um, and loving doing research. Um, and they um, encouraged me to actually participate in research in family medicine. And it was while I was doing research in family medicine and um, geriatrics that I got to meet um, physicians there that showed me what family medicine was about and that introduced me to the family medicine interest group. Um, so I got to meet students there um, that that were, you know, really neat people that I still am in contact with now, and um, and and that was really my introduction to family medicine in this country. So um, seeing, you, you know, do... seeing how much, I guess, seeing how much more that I could use family medicine in the way that I wanted to practice medicine myself, or maybe do mission work, you know, and seeing what I could be able to do. Um, with family medicine in those fields. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I do want to get into a little bit later uh, uh, the mission work that you've done. Uh, uh, but what, what do you enjoy about uh, about research? And uh, did, do you remember what the, the research project that you were uh, that uh, that you were part of uh, at the uh, University of Michigan? 
Um, I remember as, when I was in medical school that I thought research was the most awful thing. It was really funny. In medical school, I remember thinking to myself, research and geriatrics were just two things that I couldn't do. And it was funny how that totally changed as I went through my internship and everything. It just really um, became a passion almost of mine to see um, older adults and, and preventing um, diabetic foot complications. I did three months where I was just doing diabetic feet and seeing people in different stages of amputation, be it a toe and then, you know, an ankle and then um, below knee and then above a knee where they'd, they'd lose a limb because of poor diabetes control. And so I did my research in getting tight control of um, um, diabetes in older adults and whether we could um, use intensive insulin um, therapy to help people who have, especially older adults that may not really want to go on insulin, to really get their um, sugars under control. So that was using um, different family practice models and seeing, you know, which family physicians could really, which type of models would really work well in different practices. So that was the type of research that I did there. Um, our guest is uh, Dr. Kim Yu, who who is uh, practices in the uh, Detroit, uh, Michigan uh, area, and uh, um, you are in uh, solo uh, practice there, which I think is very interesting. I get a lot of a lot of questions from uh, from students and from residents um, about that. Um, how, how did that all come about, and uh, how how is that uh, going these days? Oh. Um... How do I put this? It's going wonderfully in in some respects and scarily in other respects. Um, I I started off as an employed physician after residency with a large hospital group, and I did that for two years. And during that time, I became more involved with the American Academy of Family Physicians and um, um, really got involved um, both at the state level and at the national level. And was awarded a um, minority um, delegate seat for our National Congress of Delegates for our academy. And what transpired was that um, my goals in, in being able to participate in medical politics were not necessarily the goals of the hospital system. And so um, I found it necessary to really try and decide, well, what do I really want to do? do is, is being involved in the academy what I really wanted to do? And at the time, it really was. And I had to say, you know, um, when they didn't want me to go to certain conferences and and uh, meetings, that, that that was something that I couldn't compromise on, that that was really important to me. And so I decided for, for that was part of the reason. The second reason was being in solo practice, I found so much more flexibility both in time and in what I want to be able to achieve as a, as a family physician for myself, for my personal life, and also for my patients. You know, to be able to offer to my patients the ability to talk about my faith, to bring in the spiritual aspect of their, um, their, lives um, was important to me and I felt um, being an employed physician I really couldn't discuss those matters they were not things I could talk about freely um, so having my own practice has really given me the freedom to be able to talk um, to live life the way that I really believe I should be living and it's really given um, a real clarity to me to knowing that um, I'm doing what I need to be doing that this is the right path for me. Um, it's not for everyone, and there are multiple challenges. Um, it's, it's definitely not as lucrative in some ways um, um, than being an employed physician can be, um, but the money, life is not about money. You know, it, it really can't sure. be. And I think, I think for many physicians. Um, especially now we're thinking more about lifestyle and how do we want to um, really make a difference in the lives of our patients um, in a more concrete way. And, and I found that for myself, like I had to be a solo physician to do that. Um, how would you uh, describe the uh, population that you take care of? Is it rural? Is it urban? Is it inner city? Is it suburban? Uh, what, where, where is uh, uh, what kind of where is your clinic located? Yeah, my practice is actually located in a place called Dearborn Heights. It's uh, Dearborn Heights in Redford, which is suburban, semi-urban. Um, it's a stone throw away from Detroit, literally. Um, and uh, 
So we have a, a, a real good mix of um, patients that come from true suburbia to real um, urban areas. I would not say that we are rural in any ways or means, um, but mainly suburban and urban in my practice population. Uh, uh, predominantly, um, probably about 70% are Caucasian, 30% are minority. And do, do you work with any mid-level providers in your clinic at all, or is it just, it's, it's all you? It's just me. Yeah, it's me and a very, very amazing certified medical assistant, office manager, everything, my right-hand person, Cindy, who I love and adore and will never get rid of. Um, I could not do my practice without her, and I don't know if she's listening or not, um, but uh, she, you know, I think that for anyone to succeed in, in solo practice, um, you need to have uh, staff that you can truly rely on, and I am truly blessed to have someone like her in my life that I can rely on and that the patients can rely on. So um, that's really helped. Um, I decided to go into solo practice, as I said, you know, for multiple reasons, but I was inspired quite a few years ago, 2002, it's been that long, um, was when I started my uh, solo practice um, road. Um, after reading Gordon Moore's articles in Family Practice Management, which is a, a magazine that is put out by the American Academy of Family Physicians, I think, or Family Practice Management, and um, and he's a physician who who's really uh, spearheaded like the ultra light, ultra solo type of um, practice where it's literally just one doctor and not even maybe a medical assistant. And at the time I read that and thought, wow, that's a really different idea. And um, I didn't go so brave as to just do it solo. I decided at the time to join. Um, I didn't join, but I opened my solo practice in a, an office space that had two physicians in it. So I shared space from them and rented space from two physicians. Um, and we would share call. Um, but those two physicians retired on me last year. Oh, no. And so, yeah. Um, and so last year I decided to go totally solo and open my own uh, practice in our own office space uh, that I rent. And uh, we are totally solo. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. It really is. I feel, feel very happy to have made that decision. Um, and and you shared a little bit about how uh, um, how you share your faith or how you use that in your practice. Can you talk a little bit about how you uh, how you share your faith or how how that is uh, um, how you utilize that when you're taking care of patients? You know, um, having um, a faith that really I'm able to express has really helped me take care of my patients more because to be able to share and, and recognize that we're more than just a physical body and that the spiritual aspects of a, a person's well-being really impacts their health, you know, and to be able to have the freedom to be able to um, um, say, hey, you know, I, I know that this is a really difficult time for you. Um, can I pray with you? Has really been... Um, eye-opening to me, or maybe it might even be the reverse, that they will say, Dr. you, you're looking like you're having a rough time. Can we pray with you? Or, you know, a time like, for example, when my mother passed away, it was really hard to go to work, you know, some days, and because and um, she, she passed away in England, and, and I had to fly back to England, and when I came back to the United States, you know, I remember a family coming to see me, and they could tell that I was upset, and and for them to just put their hand on my shoulder and say, it's okay, we're praying for you, meant so much to me. Um, today, for example, I have um, patients who come who who are missionary families, and to be able to to um, say, um, you know, we're going to really try and help raise support for you so that you can go to Japan. Or um, we partner with churches and communities to be able to bring health fairs. Um, you know, that that wouldn't happen otherwise if I wasn't able to really openly share my faith 
with my patients, which some may not agree with, but um, for the most part, I'd say that most of my patients appreciate the fact that I can be so honest and open with them about it, and likewise that they can be with me too. So it's really helped me know and understand that we're more than just flesh and bones and that we all need um, someone sometimes to to um, speak to about those issues. And uh, I, I guess I would presume that, uh, um, you know, patients are pretty responsive to this or, you know, the ones that aren't or, you know, they probably would tell you that. Well, I, I wouldn't know what they would tell you. Maybe they're, they're not very comfortable talking about those type of issues or any, any type of issues they weren't being comfortable talking about. Um, but I would presume that, um, especially the population that you take care of and, and the people in your office or clinic, uh, um, you know, we're okay with, with you uh, uh, talking about faith. Um, out of all the um, that I've been in practice, and it's been 10 years now, I've only had one patient tell me that they felt uncomfortable talking about their faith and that I had no business to be talking about my faith. Um, and but he still remains a patient, which is kind of neat. Um, you know, the for, for me, it's like the spiritual dimension in a person's health cannot be ignored because it's what makes us human, you know. And for for most of my patients, they've been very um, appreciative and very upfront. Usually, you know, it, all it takes is for some for for me to, you know, we have a form and in like an intake form when you join our practice and oftentimes um, when people come for a physical exam there's a section that will say you know what is your faith or what do you have a belief system or you know things like that or I might ask you know do you go to church or you know things like that um, and, and it often comes up in conversation or it might be someone that I might know um, from from different circles that, that I know that they may attend a certain church or parish or, or, or something like that so um, it usually comes up somewhere in the conversation, and they're usually very open to let me know what they feel comfortable with and what they definitely don't feel comfortable with. And I usually oh. let, let them lead me on that. You know, I'm not trying to push people, oh, let me pray for you every time they come in. But, you know, sure. if, if a, a need arises, um, that they know that they can they can ask for that. Um, and um, yeah, talk a little bit about, because uh, it... Uh, I see in, in um, your information here that you're um, – something that's very important to you is, is outreach to the community um, and being involved with things like um, health fairs and giving back to the community. Can you share a little bit about some experiences with that? And specifically, I see here that you're, you're a volunteer at the, the Chinatown Health Clinic in Detroit. That had to be a fascinating experience for you. Oh, that was really kind of a neat experience. Um, I was actually – Another physician, uh, Dr. Salas Chuck, who's retired now, um, lives in San Diego now, but he had for many years um, done outreach to the Chinese community here in the metro Detroit area. And he took me under his wing and said, I really want you to participate in this. This is really something wonderful. And he was spot on right. And we would go once a month um, to the Chinatown um, clinic and um, it was actually just a community center where we would help um, see people that had often had no insurance um, and and that really was eye-opening to me to really to really show me that there are people that have no insurance because I come from a world where everybody has insurance and now I'm seeing almost on a daily basis even today you know I see people who don't have insurance and so it was really something that really spoke to my heart um, from really early on when I was going through residency even. And so um, I've, I've wanted to participate and have participated in multiple health fairs, both for at, at Cobo Hall even where um, the NAACP has their um, Freedom Weekend each year and we did a Freedom Health Fair where we had, you know, 30 booths and we had different disease states and different, you know, things at each booth where we got the medical school, the local medical school involved, and they would come and help talk to people about the different health issues. We had screenings for cholesterol and blood pressure and diabetes, and we did talks about those things. And it was really wonderful to see the the feedback we got. I mean, there were so many times, even the past um, health fair that we did recently in uh, Redford, um, 
it was wonderful to see how the community responded to that. And we actually asked permission ahead of time from the city council of Redford. And they were so appreciative because we know that, especially with the economy right now, so many people don't have insurance. There's, you know, I think the statistics are like one in five people in America don't have health insurance. It's like over 40 million people now. And um, there were, in the two hours, two, three hours that we had our health fair, um, we saw probably close to 50 people. We had uh, three um, residents from different programs, from family medicine programs that came to help us. And we had a nurse practitioner that came to help us as well. Um, We had a hospital system come to provide the screenings for cholesterol and diabetes, and we did body mass indexes. And there were multiple, you know, close to um, 10 people that we found that had very elevated blood pressures, um, all of whom we were able to help out and take care of, which was wonderful. Really was great to see. But it's, you know, health fairs are are kind of uh, one of those things where you think, do they really help? You know, should we really be doing them or should we really be trying to fix the, the problem at hand, which is that people don't have health insurance? Um, well, what do you think about that? Well, um, I think, I mean, I as I said, I've, I come from a place where, to me, not having parents seems so far. And if you ask most British people how we feel about it, um, uh, a lot of us are, are stunned when we tell, you know, when I tell my my friends um, in the UK that there are one in five people don't have health insurance. They just are floored. They can't believe that we, as a such an industrialized and, and wealthy country, and, and who spends so much money on healthcare, don't have healthcare for everyone. It just it boggles the mind. It really does. Um, and although the issue of of healthcare for all is something controversial, it's something that um, I'm glad that finally um, it's being addressed. Maybe not in the ways that some people would like. Um, but it's finally being addressed because it, it needs to be dealt with. Um, today I saw someone who had no health insurance and who had chest pain and who ended up in the ER came to me for a follow-up visit um, after going to the ER and spending a, a gazillion dollars there and saying she wasn't helped in the ER and, and that they told her to come see me. And, you know, we sat there for a really long time trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to get her the test that she needs? Um, it, are there patient assistant programs? Is there any chance she could get Medicaid? And she said that she called the office and was told that it was closed indefinitely, um, which shocked me that, you know, she's trying to get help and, and the office is closed and that they told her, you know, the, the person that she spoke to on the phone said they'll call her when the office is open and, of course, she hasn't heard a thing. So we're looking at um, some medical savings type of accounts or some type of uh, discount programs that people can pay a small amount each month and maybe get 30% discount on their office visits or their medications um, as an option for her because she, you know, she has pre-existing conditions and, and has been denied insurance from from a lot of different insurances, which is it's such a travesty to me. It really is. Um, and that's just one person. I have another patient of mine who um, I take care of a whole family. Um, you know, uncles, aunts, grandmother, you know, daughters, children, uh, generations of this family, probably close to 15 to 20 people in this family. And one of them is an uncle who um, developed an autoimmune disorder, which is where the body attacks itself. And it was so sad because he needed chemotherapy. He was in the hospital for days, you know, and needed treatment for this, and it cost a lot of money. And we ended up um, I attended a fundraiser, a bowling fundraiser, um, to raise money for him to pay for his medical bills and then add blow to this. Within weeks of him being diagnosed with this disease, this terrible disease that could kill him, um, his son, his 21-year-old son, was diagnosed with the bone cancer. You know, And his son doesn't have health insurance either. So this family is just looking at, you know, medical bills that are just escalating and escalating and and here we are trying to help you know and 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 trying to to uh keep hopeful that we can find sources of funding for them which which is really quite 
dire at the moment. So um, something needs to be done. Something needs to be done because no one deserves to go through that. You know, that could happen to anyone. Bone cancer could happen to anyone. It's not like this young man, you know, smoked and drank his way to, to that disease or was so obese that he had a heart attack. You know, this is something that could happen to anyone. And nobody should have to go through that type of stress to lose their home or or, or all the, their savings because of uh, of a medical disaster like that. Uh, I mean, and and people can hear, you know, people can hear the 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 passion in your voice, the frustration that we all have, you know, working in this broken system uh, that we're in right now, and and uh, and a lot of that, I think, really drives your um, uh, your that all the advocacy that you have been doing on the local and state and national level um, for you know our patients. Um, uh, talk a little bit about um, uh, you, specifically, you know, the, this the, your, your chapter here, the Southeast Michigan Academy of Family Physicians. Talk a little bit about that, and talk a little bit about um, the, the advocacy efforts that you would like that chapter to do, as far as reaching out to the people that, you know, like legislators and, and think, you know, to share the story of these patients, to share the story of, uh, of family medicine, to, to try to get some change going. Oh, it's really something that I hope um, that we can achieve with the Southeast Michigan Academy of Family Physicians. We are a subchapter of the Michigan Academy of Family Physicians. The, the American Academy of Family Physicians is broken up into different state levels, and, and we have subchapters within the state. So uh, the one that covers Southeast Michigan and Metro Detroit in, in particular has around 800 members, and currently I'm the secretary treasurer. Um, for Southeast Michigan and hopefully um, if I get elected um, incoming president this summer for um, Southeast chapter and I hope that we'll be able to really increase um, the face of of the legislators seeing how people need health insurance in our state. Um, I want to bring these stories to the legislators. Um, a lot of the legislators um, already have heard from us. Um, and we have even uh, mobilized at our practice, the patients in our practice. Um, they know that they can get a call from Sydney, my office manager, that has an alert. And so we recently in Michigan, um, our governor wanted to tax physicians and providers 3% on top of all the taxes that we already pay um, as physicians. But only physicians, you know, not the lawyers or anyone else, but only physicians. And to use that money, she said, for funding Medicaid and uh, some health programs. Well, unfortunately, we know that in other states where this has been implemented, um, that didn't occur. The money didn't get to go to fund the health programs that they wanted. They went back into general fund. And so as physicians, we really objected to, to one being, you know, um, pointed out from other from other um, practices and and also on top of the 21% cut in Medicare that we were facing, you know, for a lot of practices, that would have destroyed us and, and it would make it almost impossible to practice. And so I mobilized my patients. They all got, you know, a lot of my um, patients got a phone call um, that said, can you call these two numbers? And, and I gave them the phone number to call and a little blurb. And they all called for me and they would come into my office and say, Dr. you, I called that person. And, and thankfully, the 3% uh, provider tax didn't go through. And I know it wasn't just because of my patients. It was from the hard work of the Michigan Academy of Family Physicians and, and the people that work hard there and the physicians that work hard around the state to make sure that the provider tax didn't go through. But it's issues like that that we need to bring to the forefront. We need to make sure that um, as physicians and, and as people in general, you know, if, if, if you're a human being and if you want to be concerned about your family's health, we need to be involved and to be advocates for each other. You know, never mind for the, just, just uh, the people without insurance. We need to be advocates for each other because we all deserve to have better health care. We all deserve to have... Um, someone to to really look out for our best interests and not just the interests of pharma or the government or the the hospital systems or um, the um, insurance companies that that may make uh, more money than than they should 
um, pretty, pretty inflammatory there, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, that's that's why you know that's why I bring people on the show, and uh, you know, that's uh, I mean, it, it's uh, I mean, uh, you know, you and I have talked you know offline about this too, and uh, I mean, I, we have to get that message okay. out there. Um, um, uh, one more advocacy question that we'll talk about social media. Um, one of the, one of another one of your many passions is uh, minority health. Um, and one of the things that has been talked about um, is, you know, are there going to be enough family doctors? Um, and one of your passions is, you know, trying to uh, uh, increase uh, minority recruitment to colleges and medical schools and residencies um, to help those workforce issues. What, uh, what, why is that important to you, and why, why is that important to America to do that? It really is so important that we have um, minority physicians in practice. Right now, we know that approximately 30% or so um, of the population are minorities. Um, But by 2050, it's projected that the minority population will be approximately 50% of our U.S. population, and um, which is a lot of people. Um, And we're not seeing that when we look around our medical schools and our residencies, we're not seeing the numbers of minorities in medical schools, especially among um, African Americans and Hispanics and Native Americans. We're not seeing that large number of of minority students going into specifically primary care and family medicine, um, and we need that um, to be able to provide care for people who are minorities also, because a lot of times, um, for example, if... uh, um, for my patients who are Chinese, even though my Chinese is not that wonderful, um, it really helps to have that person that might understand their culture, that might understand their background or the pressures that they may encounter being um, Asian, and uh, to be able to speak the language really helps. And so if we can increase the number of medical students um, or even people, minorities going to college, we found that there's a pipeline shortage that starts even as from high school even, that we need to graduate more minorities from high school, that there's a drop, you know, there's there's a large difference within Hispanics and African Americans compared to Caucasians from even graduation from high school. And so if we can increase that, then we can increase more of them going into college. And if we can increase that, then we can increase the number of going to medical school. And especially among African-American uh, males, that, that we're seeing um, real problems with um, drop-off rate. Even in medical school, there was a, um, unfortunately, you know, there was this um, anti-affirmative um, action type of um, push that occurred um, probably around 10, 10 so years ago that, um, if anything, has really hindered us in recruitment of minority students into medical school. And, um, for example, the University of Michigan um, closed their Office of Minority Student Affairs. And speaking to the person that used to work um, there and, and also medical students from NMA who, who participated in NMA and also um, in the family medicine interest groups um, who were minorities, um, they shared with me um, their struggles to be able to um, complete their coursework, um, to graduate, you know, and and finish their even their first or second year in medical school. It was a struggle not to have that support that they used to have, um, and I think it's a shame that those things went away. That you know, lawsuits came up and people decided to get rid of for fear of of these lawsuits that they got rid of these. Um, offices of minority affairs that really help students do better. So we need to, from both the legislative issue, from a medical school perspective, from a um, even college level to school, high school level, really need to look carefully at how we can increase that pipeline so that we will have adequate numbers of minorities going into family medicine later on as time increases. Um, our guest is uh, Dr. Kim Yu, uh, who practices in the uh, Detroit, uh, Michigan uh, area, a uh, family physician. And uh, we have a few minutes uh, left here. And I'm going to change gears here a little bit um, as we start to uh, close up the show here a little bit. Let's, uh, let's talk about the social media here. Um, as, uh, oh, do we, we have kind to? Of, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay, um, okay, I'll let you. 
Uh, so you definitely uh, uh, Facebook more than you Twitter. Uh, but uh, how, how did you uh, get into uh, uh, Facebook uh, in the first place, sir? You know, it's really fun. I have to um, thank two physicians. Um, we were at a physician meeting uh, about a year or two ago, and um, we were at a meeting, and they were Facebooking during the meeting, and it was hilarious because I'd be sitting there, and they'd be t- chatting with each other on Facebook about the issues that were being discussed, and I thought, well, what are you doing? And I'd heard of Facebook, but hadn't got involved because I was you know, concerned about security and you know, about all these people knowing what... Um, I do, and it's been quite funny to see how I've changed as, um, in terms of my comfort level of, of what I share on my Facebook, um, you know, because I, I put everything out there now, and people often tell me that maybe I put too much out there. But um, it's it, it was definitely a physician that turned me onto Facebook, and then it was you that got me onto Twitter just this <laughs> year. And so, like, I think I have, like, five tweets or something really pathetic. But, um, you know, I'm getting there. And and I did try to blog, but, you know, my blogs have have, have been limited to, like, two pages. And and, um, because, you know, life is busy and there are so many other things that we as physicians do. But um, it's been exciting to me to be able to use um, Facebook, especially to help with um, telling people about, like, the health fairs we had. I was able to get quite a few volunteers to come to help me at the health fair because I put it on my Facebook. And we were able to um, advertise, I guess, about the fundraiser, bowling fundraiser that we had for the the patient that had no insurance. And something that I'm hoping to do um, on my website um, for my work is to provide um, an area that, that looks at community service um, ways in which we can reach out to our community. And one of the things that I um, really want to take on uh, is there was a young boy who had an accident. Um, recently he was uh, um, doing a gymnastics tumbling event or some type of thing at, at school and he, he broke his neck. He he fell and broke his neck. And um, the family's really hoping to raise money for that, um, for him and, and the needs that he has for his home and, and for the health care needs that he has. Um, and so I'm hoping that we can use um, Facebook and, and hopefully um, some of the photographs from the, the recent dance recital that I took to to um, raise money for this family. Um, he His family was involved in the dance studio that um, my kids go to. Um, so kind of a fun thing, but at the same time something that I hope is more meaningful um, and to try and just show people that there's more to family medicine than just the taking care of health issues, that as family physicians we're concerned about our communities and, and about our families in general that we take care of, that we have the privilege of taking care of. So did you say you have a, you have a, you have a website or you have a web page or something? Is that... Did I hear that right? I or? do. It's yeah. It's kind of really sad, but yeah. It's what is it's, it? <laughs> it's www. Um, because I couldn't think of anything else at the time, and, it, and I know it's really long, and you're supposed to pick something really cool like uh, www. You know. Oh yay! But, but That's it's, a great picture um, there. Nice job. <laughs> So it's it's kind of something that we just threw together, but it, at least it, I, I patients have found me through that, which is kind of neat. That um, yeah. some patients that I've had in the past that have found me through um, our website, and we do Relay Health, which is wonderful. I love Relay Health. So yeah, we do I've heard of that. and um, web visits on Relay Health, which which my patients love. So definitely trying yeah. to get into the the more technical aspects of medicine, which is kind of exciting. So it sounds like you, you, you do friend uh, uh, patients on Facebook, and that's okay with you? I do. I know that there are people that hate the thought of that, but, you know, there, there are some patients that maybe I might not friend. <laughs> um, but, you know, <laughs> so I don't just blanket accept everyone, and I don't, like, put it out there that I have a Facebook, but sometimes they find me. I once had a patient who... Um, who found me and um, asked for an appointment 
you know, on Facebook, which is which I thought was really funny. And I had to right. sort of message them privately and say, uh, could you just call the office instead? Um, <laughs> but it's it's really helped, you know. Sometimes you get to know some really interesting habits of patients through that and uh, find out if they're sick or not and whether they need to come in. So it's kind of funny to uh, to do that. And I think it gives them mm. an idea of what I'm like, too, which is kind of fun, too. Sure, sure. Uh, so we have about five minutes left. Um, so uh, I guess, we're, we're, you know, um, where do you see your practice uh, going? Uh, do you see yourself continuing uh, um, in solo practice uh, in the future, or is it just kind of, you know, just being real flexible and seeing what comes along? I sure hope I can um, I can stay in solo practice. I just love it so much. It really um, it's, it's really neat to be able to have that flexibility that – that I have, um, but I think it truly depends on uh, whether I can make it financially, to be honest with you. You know, the uh, 21% Medicare cut that's booming, that's coming, that that's here, um, is, is not a help, <laughs> you know, so uh, I actually have a little thing where you can put quarters, you know how you have little quarters that you can put in a little uh, cardboard thing. Um, and it has a little sign next to it that says, you know, for Dr. Yu and Cindy's lunch, you can feel free to donate for our lunch if you feel, um, if you'd like due to the Medicare cut. But, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's something that I, I hope and pray that I'll be able to do. But, um, you know, we'll have to see as time goes on. I'll take each year as it comes and, uh, hopefully we'll still be here. We've been there eight years, so hopefully we'll make it through for quite a few more sure. years to come. And I really hope that uh, you know being more involved in the community will will help um, will help that as well. Um, I think it's real fascinating what you're doing. I'm very inspired by it, um, and I know a lot of people who listen to this show are going to be very inspired by your story. And uh, you. you know, you know, especially you know people like medical students who ask me all the time, you know, you know, do people go out there and just hang up their shingle and do it? I'm like, yeah, you know, and I can give them a list of people and say, hey, you know, contact these yeah. people and. You know, like I'll be happy to, have, yeah. happy, yeah. happy to have any medical student or resident who wants to come to my practice to see how awesome, totally awesome it is to be in solo private practice. It um, <laughs> can't be beat, to be honest with you. <laughs> Good. Uh, oh, you did a great job. Do, do you have any? Uh, do you have any uh, closing thoughts uh, for us uh, before before I close up the show here this evening? I think if I were to say anything, is that. Um, you know, my catchphrase that that I'd like everyone to know is that because your family's health matters to us, and as family physicians, I truly believe in my heart that everyone really deserves a family physician. So if you don't have one for the people who are listening, if you don't have one, get one. Get someone who really wants to listen to your concerns and uh, to take care of your whole family, not just the kids and not just the older adults once you hit 18, but everybody in your family. And, and uh, you know, I have to say, uh, if as long as you score on a really good one, which I know that there are many of us out there, that you are going to be so blessed and so happy that you made that choice for your family. Well, great, great. Uh, Dr. Kim Yu, thank you for joining us. Everybody go to thefamilypracticedoctor.com and uh, – Maybe you should put like a little a little tip jar or a little uh, you know like a little PayPal type of thing. I know I would contribute to that and, and say, <laughs> hey, you know. Have, have, yeah, have yeah, that sounds like another. a really good idea. I'm like, I'm gonna have yeah. to definitely ask my husband yeah. to put a little button I, there. I, I, a lot of people do that. A lot, a lot of these websites are doing it. You know, like kind of like, I mean, you you basically, yeah, you're an entrepreneur, you're a startup company, and uh, you know, a lot of them do that. And you know, they put a little thing in the corner there. A little tip jar, you know, and, and some people just make it a little cute. You know, like, oh, you know, just like you said, buy lunch or, you know, buy my Starbucks for me today. You know, just make it like kind of funny, kind of cute. Um, and uh, I, I think people would really, uh, really respond to that. Yeah, I think so, too. It's kind of funny how my patients look at that little thing and laugh, and then they get their wallet out and put a few quarters in there. And, and so it's been great. I've had lunch this week. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, I, you're I, so I, welcome. I, I, I hope you had fun. I hope you weren't too nervous uh, uh, for the show. But uh, I mean, I think you did great. Uh, the, the chat room really responded to what you were saying, and I know the people that listen to this after uh, after the live show here. I think uh, I think you're going to get a lot of good response with it too. And uh, it was it was great having you on. It's great to talk to you. 
Thank you so much, and I'm so happy to have been able to talk to you, too. You rock. <laughs> well, we'd love to bring you back uh, at some point and say, hey, you know, just repeat the story and say, hey, you can do this. Be, go solo, and uh, it's, it would be great to, to follow your story, and I know I'll, I'll, get some, uh, I'll get some questions about that as time goes along, too. So thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, kids. So I have, let me see, I have about 30 seconds here. And uh, so I want to thank uh, Dr. Kim Yu for coming on the show here. And uh, hey, check out our website there. You know, it's uh, thefamilypracticedoctor.com. I'll put it on dranonymous.com uh, for people who uh, want to know about that. And uh, that's it. You know, hey, great show here tonight. Uh, there's no Saturday show coming up. Uh, and my next show will be one week uh, from tonight. And uh, you can get more information at DrAnonymous.com or just, you know, just Google Dr. Anonymous or, you know, just, just put Dr. Anonymous in your favorite search engine. So uh, that's all I have for you here tonight. And uh, I will say good night and uh, have a good weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you all very soon. Take care.